What's up, Internet? Welcome to Super GG Radio. Here with Solid Snake Lookalike Contest winner Joel DeWitt and Revolver Ocelot, a.k.a. Eric Ettinger. I'm your host, Pro Temp, and Bob Ross of Skyrim, Steve Dvorak. Wait, 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 wait. That's not how we do things here. What's up, Internet? Welcome to Session 14 of Super GG Radio, where friends chat about video games and all things adjacent. I'm your host this week, Joel DeWitt, and if you're hearing my voice instead of Alex's, that means something's gone terribly wrong. Isn't that right, Eric? Get it, Oh, this can only end poorly. That's the spirit, and with us this week filling that briefly vacant third chair is friend of the show, Steve Dvorak. Steve, can we call you friend of the show? Friends with benefits, I hope. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, this week, I did Guardian Down in the Backlog blog, we put on our detective hat and ditto eyes and news, and I assigned us the next video game homework because Alex isn't here to stop me. But first as always is the early adopter segment. New and newish releases, alphas, betas, sigmas, kappas, omegas, and other Greek letters we want to get in on early. Getty, mind starting us off with what's new that you've been playing this week? Sure, Joel. Uh, how do you feel about card games, like Magic the Gathering kind of card games? I'm listening. Okay, so we actually had a nice opportunity to play a beta this last week called Nowhere Profit. So what it's all about is cutting to the chase. You are Moses, and you're trying to cross the desert with your resources, so you have a limited amount of food and hope. And as you go along, you're introduced into these different situations, either battle situations or ones where you have to try and creatively get out of them by selecting text-based options. But where the Magic the Gathering element comes in is in the combat. So you get set up with a grid and a bunch of different characters that you can play or place on the grid and then try and attack your opponents. Now, you're, you're like Space Moses, right? Uh, I would say probably Space Moses. It's it's really nitty-gritty, and it definitely looks like it's post-apocalyptic here. Yeah, I had kind of like a, like a Mad Max vibe when I uh, watched the like Game Informer game demo for this. Oh, well, you there did was, your homework. Yeah, yeah, you, you came prepared. Uh, yeah, the aesthetic is really, you're right, because every, everybody is wearing these sort of make shift hobbled together outfits and the terrain is all desert and barren as you and this caravan of followers are going plot by plot on this map as you're staking out each spot and i kind of liked that the map was also like uh like a big sheet of like graph or grid paper on a table looked like yep. each different zone was kind of like a little bit of a different piece of graph paper but it was like it's laid out that way so like the map is actually on a table it's kind of meta or like self-referential in that way yeah no oh, yeah yeah i uh i enjoyed quite a bit about this beta with my time with it and you select each next step on the map and it has branching paths and each time you hit a different spot it'll give you a little snippet of dialogue and story to propel you forward and give you context as to what's happening there usually involving some kind of choice as to whether or not you are going to try to help someone out or abandon them or if you're running into a possible set of danger whether or not you want to spring an attack on them and there are actually it's not just a card game mechanic but there also is a survival mechanic at play too because there's food and supplies that you have to ration out through your time traveling in the world 
Yeah, and those units that you have that you use in combat, you can lose them. Learn that one the hard way. Yeah, that's that's a wrinkle that, uh, gosh, this game is probably going to be hard when it's out. <laughs> hard, know? but I'm actually really excited. Uh, right off the bat, when you boot it up, it's like, hey, listen, there's going to be a lot more to do, and the maps will be more procedurally generated. But I already felt that with the different text options that you were able to select in one example, I went in, I had combat with a, a different crew, and then it was like, do you want to kill the leaders? And I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. No, I'll spare them. And then I got those companions into my my deck of cards or my my character pile yeah that's kind of a nice feature is that when you get a new card added to your deck that's also a person in your caravan and then like you said they can die and you lose them there's like encampment options where you could use your food you can heal yourself you can heal the cards in your deck so to speak that's kind of a nice touch or i think that's what kind of made this stand out from just like your your video game edition of magic the gathering yeah it's it's an interesting way to create an attachment to what's what are essentially cards in the game right because you're playing a game of magic the gathering and you're a summoner playing these cards that are supposed to be like creatures that are cannon fodder one way or another. But the the destroyability of the followers in this game creates a scarcity in your mind and also an attachment of not wanting to lose them by overstretching your limits. And you, you really think about, well, should I remove them from my deck, so to speak, before I move to the next slot? But if they're a better character, then you're also weakening yourself. And an interesting part of it, too, is that you are really at the mercy of your enemy, too, because unlike something like Magic the Gathering, your opposing team, their people, their followers, can attack you directly, and there's no there's no phase where you can try to block an attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that you can, like, give the cards, like, an individual name. Like, you, <laughs> uh, the guy I saw, like, he named one of his beasts was the other host of the show. It was, like, Roger or something like that. <laughs> Nice. But a mechanic question for you guys, since you had your hands on the game. What I was noticing is that in different battles, the playing area, if you will, that grid where your character cards can go, there's yeah. like a limited number of slots. It was different in each, in like different battle zones. Like usually it was three by four, but there was like a two by five one time. Mm-hmm. But what I yeah. couldn't tell the difference is. So, you know, if you're, I'm most familiar with magic, so I'm going to use that as my point of reference, but in that game, you know, when you attack the caster, if you will, anything they have in play can block it, and that's not exactly the case in this. All your characters can just directly attack the summoner. So I was wondering, it seemed like it was, like, you could just put your cards on the table and just unload directly on the summoner. The guy I was watching had, like, a lot of health on his leader, and the other leader really didn't have that much. So, what did you guys, like, strategically, was, did that throw you off? Was there something else to that? So, there, there is a bit of a learning curve if you have experience with magic, because you bring in an understood rule set from that you think in a card game like this. The... the big distinction that I saw was that obviously just the ability to have placement on a grid for your creatures that you summon. But if I understood it right, and correct me if I'm wrong, Getty, it's only the front row of people that can attack. Yeah. So the the rows back, you can stage other followers 
on the the grid and that might make sense because everyone still has summoning sickness meaning that the first round they're put into play they can't attack right they have to wait a turn to be able to attack or do anything so it made sense from that standpoint and also some of the levels you run across there will be obstacles blocking certain points of the grid that might bottleneck how many you can have on a field at a time but from as far as i could see that was the real main draw of where you would place things and why so the size and shape of the field did like have an impact on your strategy to some degree i i wonder if that's maybe more impactful late game or at least mid game given that this is really this beta really only had like one act if i recall right yeah and you could get to the first boss and attempt to fight the first boss so in my time with the game this time i didn't notice really much of a impact outside of okay these are the people that i want to be in the front line so i can get attacks off in the first place and then if i have more points to use each round i'll use some of the sort of sorcery cards or place another follower on the battlefield just in the background to stage him and be ready how much time did each of you guys spend playing this roughly oh jeez not gonna lie i didn't get very many chances to probably two hours i would say i did about an hour and a half total yeah it seemed like it was good for some bite-sized gaming, and I know the beta has limitations to it, but I was wondering, you know, with Magic, there's a lot of different cards, and so, like, the deck building becomes the variety. I wonder if you guys thought about, down the road, when you get the full version, how much play time do you think this game's going to be able to yield? Do you think it's going to have replay value? Because it almost seems like you can kind of run out of combinations for your deck sort of fast, but it's hard to know. I didn't actually get, like, how many individual cards there are, so to speak, from the game's website, but do you guys know anything about that? I don't think that that's something to worry about. Just based on getting our hands into it and seeing where you can go, what you can do, he could, or the developer, can go ahead and add tons more. This this was one act out of, I believe, it's going to be three acts, or maybe more. But for the time spent, the amount of different things that I tried to do, I was getting different cards. So maybe the number of cards will be limited, but the possibility of options for your playthroughs, even with this small sampling, you could go back to it three, four times. I feel like it'd be a different gaming experience. I wonder that because there's also, there are different summoners, different Moseses you can be. Ah, uh, yes. Because <laughs> uh, I, I was poking through the options and they only allow you to have one, but it appeared like each one might have had different traits or attributes that could also probably affect, at least to a degree, how you might approach a battle too easily they could easily add that or we'll just have to see yeah i noticed like uh some of the leaders had like an armor icon and you had those little like they were like dots underneath the leader icon and i didn't quite ascertain what those were for yeah i'm not sure and the the other thing too is that a match at the gathering game there are very few of those that i've seen that tried to thread a narrative throughout the actual game itself Mm. a lot of it's stuff a lot of it is stuff like Magic the Dathering Arena, which I've put a shameful amount of time in the last week or so. <laughs> and uh, that's just a venue for you to do versus matches with other people online or versus a computer. Where this, it's trying to thread some kind of, 
I'm not sure how deep the narrative is going to be, but there's going to be a narrative, and that might be enough of a driver for you to be compelled to play through once or twice and make different choices at the different stopping points along the map. Because I, you know, they gave different invitations on whether you showed mercy to a couple of stragglers or if you left them to die. Uh, certain attributes being boosted or downed, or different options to attack or to try to sneak off away from things. And I didn't see enough during the beta, but it makes me wonder if there's going to be any narrative ties to some of those choices, too. Yeah, I mean, you think there's got to be. I I got a little taste of the narrative watching this demo, and I did kind of like it. Eric made an apt analogy that it's basically like Space Moses. There's like a robot <laughs> voice that talks to you at the beginning. And tells you mm -hmm. that there's, like, a promised land of batteries or something. It has, like, a power generator. Yeah. I liked that batteries were the currency. It, it follows the, like, Mad Max or Fallout, like, vibe. I don't... Did you guys run into any of these scenarios where someone in your own caravan... It would be, like, this pop-up would come and be like, so-and-so in your caravan, like, dropped some extra batteries out of their bag. And you have, like, a confrontation with them where it's like, dude, not cool. We all use the batteries. Oh. And then, like, the other option is, like, let them keep the batteries. And it, it, <laughs> if you use the optional one, it, there's, like, a, a chance applied to it. So the, the guy I saw playing, one of the dudes had some secret batteries and it was like, yo, cough up those batteries. And then the other option was like, just pretend like you didn't see the batteries, but the difficulty was impossible. <laughs> <laughs> this is going from space Moses to space Oregon Trail. <laughs> It basically is. Jeez, no, I didn't. I didn't encounter that. Oh man. So what? Did, speaking of Oregon Trail, because that's also kind of an, <laughs> an apt comparison. I, I think that belongs in the backlog blog, Steve. I don't know well, if you're, I mean... you're familiar with the show, but <laughs> I think that belongs it's, in the episode title. It's a deep cut. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think about those extra elements? So it looked like you had batteries, you had food. Those make sense. Those are like your supplies but you also had, like, a spirituality counter. Hope. And then you had altruism. Oh, hope. Okay. You also have altruism, right? Yeah. So you can yeah, either so be, I... like, altruistic or, or not. And, and I noticed, like, there were times when you could give people food, you could give them batteries, and, like, depending on what you did, sometimes they'd, like, trade their goods with you, or you could just, like, kill them. So usually with my time with it, I noticed that whenever you were doing a good deed for a straggler somewhere, it directly correlated into you giving up food and batteries, which are like the critical supplies that you need to sustain your caravan as you're moving forward. Yeah, otherwise you get but, cholera. Right. <laughs> Space cholera. <laughs> But uh, so, so it, it was a very direct correlation between those two things. And you did benefits like other items, I think you could sort of sell or sometimes some of them would join your caravan in exchange for that. But I, I don't see that that makes me wonder what the larger game's going to have at play with it, because if it ties into some sort of later game, like you were a complete space dick and now you're <laughs> going to get punished by some group because you played this way, that might be interesting. But if it's if it's just a meter to maintain and not get too above or too below somewhere, that, that might be less compelling. Yeah, I mean, it definitely looked like the extra options that would be available to you in the encounters would be based on those numbers. So if your spirituality was high enough in certain cases, you could avoid fighting or something like that. I also noticed that you can get, there's basically like a rarity degree for the items that you get. 
So, like, it goes up to legendary, and then by getting those, like, items or supplies, it eventually led to you getting more, like, rare cards, so to speak, correct? Yes. And so, did you guys, while you were playing, did you get a bunch of the rare cards? Did you get a sense uh, or a flavor of, like, what the more powerful cards were like? Mm, Here and there. I didn't really get a chance to drop all of them. One of the things that you have to consider is... During the combat phases, you have a set amount of energy that you can spend each turn. And in that aspect, it's it's more like Hearthstone, where each turn you get one more energy so that you can cast those cards. But I never really got the opportunity to drop a big fat one on the other guy. Is that a direct pull from Hearthstone, the, the energy consumption? Yeah. So each turn you get one more, and it refills everything at the beginning of your turn. And so if you don't use it all... Do you like does do you retain that energy in subsequent rounds? If you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, typical. <laughs> so I think that when we're looking at this genre of like video games that are sort of also card games, we can compare it to the gold standard of Solitaire from Windows ninety five. How do you guys think this game stacks up against that? Wow. Not not enough card flipping? Not enough card flipping? All right. Severe lack of card flipping, yeah. I, I don't know how to answer that. The, the win state needs to have the cards flipping all over the screen as part of your victory. That's true. Well, this was only the beta, right? <laughs> so maybe when you get to the end of the story, the cards go flying everywhere. <laughs> That's a pipe dream, sir. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll be part of the DLC. Yeah. And I think this is a game that's ripe for DLC, right? like dropping card packs here and there, extra things that you can buy. Do you guys have any idea what this is going to retail when it comes out? No clue. I don't, actually. I, if if I would just make a blind guess, I would think 15 to 20 would be the right range for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think this would be a sweet game at that price. The other thing is it looks like they're just releasing it like for PC. It's going to be on Steam, but it didn't look like it's a PlayStation Network release. I doubt that they're going to release it on anything else, at least to start. And I really hope that they don't go the route of trying to introduce new card packs, unless it's a full expansion to go along with the story. I I would, if they're going to go the route of expanding the game, I would hope it'd be more along the lines of something like extended story options, or uh, if they want to add, like, extra Moseses. (laughs) Mozai. Yeah, I would. I'm just. I'm not sure what value adding card packs as an additional pay for item would bring to it. I mean, unless they figure out a way to have new, more clever parts to add to the actual battle system. But if they're going to do that, I would hope it would be tied into more content beyond just people to add to your packs. Yeah. Yeah, that would be but the that's... smart move. I mean, I think what sets this game apart is the story element, right? I think that's what makes it more compelling than just being a basic card battler. Yeah, that's my opinion, at least. I can agree. It's compelling enough for me to be interested in it when it comes out. So we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see once it uh, comes out here. Oh yeah, I'll jump on this bandwagon too. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm not like a PC gamer, so I think part of me is hoping maybe this will make it to the PlayStation Network at some point, at which point I would buy it probably, depending on the price. But yeah, if if this is like a $15 to $20 game, uh, it looks like it's a lot of fun. It seems solid. It's got some aspects of it that are different than the, the rest of the herd of these kinds of games. And it has a really nice aesthetic quality. It has, like, comic book-ish style art. Things are a little weird and different. So I thought it was pretty cool. 
Yeah, that's pretty distinct, and I, I hope that we get a chance to talk about it later, too. So, Steve, you are primarily a PlayStation player? Yeah, I basically, if I'm playing a game, it's only on PS4 right now. Okay, okay. I have a Steam uh, account. I got Stardew Valley, and then <laughs> Stardew Valley came out on PlayStation. I was like, oh, I'll just get the PlayStation 1. <laughs> Burn. Yeah, uh, let's see. How, do, how many times do we own Stardew Valley? I think three now. <laughs> It's it's it, 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 it's it's Stardew Valley. <laughs> yeah, just a perfect time sink. Yeah, that's that's not what this conversation's for. Uh, right, that's on Daddy. my backlog blog. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, uh, Daddy, I also see that uh, you played a Gems of War puzzle quest. Oh yeah, I guess we do have other stuff to talk about tonight. <laughs> uh, before we get to Destiny and spend the like six hours talking about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's a, a new-ish game, Gems of War. It's uh, from the creators of Puzzle Quest. It's uh, available on the Switch right now. If you've never played a Puzzle Quest game before, it's really simple. It's match three gems, match four gems, match five gems, whatever you need to do, and defeat the other team. So the original Puzzle Quest, it was 1v1. You'd go in, you'd have to match skulls to damage the enemy. This time, you've got a whole squad with you, and the customization in this game is ridiculous. Let me tell you. Please. (laughs) Yeah. So, unfortunately, it's it's one of those games where they have added the pay-to-win element, so people will drop tons of cash on this just to be able to get the newest unlock characters and be able to level up to crush it in PvP. But what I love is the tried-and-true story quests. You go in, it gives you four, five, six battles that you have to complete, uh, just going downing enemy after enemy, and it rewards you with different things. Uh, you get gold, you get souls and you use those to upgrade your characters and the level of customization on the characters geez i've probably dropped 20 hours on this bad boy and i feel like i haven't done anything Uh, amazing now uh when you say that you up you level up your character uh what what kind of result does that have when you're working on leveling up so each character has a number of stats Uh, i'm gonna need some water for this one because i feel like i'm gonna talk for a while (laughs) You get a number of stats. So you get your health, you have your shields, you have your base attack damage, and then you have just one that gives you a certain amount of mana per match. Okay. And uh, as you level the character up, those numbers jump up. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily good characters because there's different rarities of cards. So it follows the standard World of Warcraft system where white is the weakest and you move all the way up to the orange standard. And then they added one for good measure so that you could pay the $100 for one of these teal cards. But just the... uh, sheer customizability of the characters and your party uh, it blows me away i haven't spent a dime i've wasted so many hours of my life and i will continue to waste hours what facets of the characters can you customize like in my memory in my memory this was like a fancy version of like bejeweled kind of yeah yeah i was thinking puzzle fighter (laughs) oh yeah. yeah uh so you can Add traits to your character, which give you, like, a a passive buff. And I don't know that there was... Oh, so your main character, you get a main character, and you can customize him by equipping a weapon. Because all the other characters you get already have an ability. So the weapons that you obtain, uh, they do pretty much anything. So there's basic raw damage to one of the characters. There's true damage, which 
avoid shields. Uh, there's different magic that will turn the whole board into one color of mana. It's I, I can't I can't even explain all of it. You'll just have to download it, or Steve, you'll have to buy a Switch so that you can play it. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm going to talk about this later, but I've got a lot to say about handhelds, and my oh, fingers no. are too big for the Switch. <laughs> Can never play it. Really? Dude, I always fat finger the whole thing. Alex tries to get me to play Smash Brothers, and he gives me... You get, like, half of the Switch thing, and it's, like, the size <laughs> of, like, two quarters. And I'm just like, I can't. And then your co-host, Eric Gettinger, just like wails on me as like Captain <laughs> Fat. You know, I'm just like, I'm Kirby, like kind of flopping around or something. And then he just like... Hey, wh- we, are, we love Kirby on this show. Everybody loves Kirby. That, that just sounds like bad friends. <laughs> they just, they're, they're ruthless when it comes to Smash Brothers. You know, when Smash Brothers goes on, no one's friends. Yeah, fair. Fair. <laughs> We're all at least related to people who take it way too seriously. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so so Getty, uh, I guess one more question I have about this. Sure. When, when you say battle one v one, so is are there life bars between you and your opponent, and and the matching the three or more in a, in a row will produce an attack? Is that how it works? All right. So I'm gonna, sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to dig into this even. Uh, I don't I don't think we have the time for it. But let me uh, let me answer your question. So yeah. the uh, battle system is each of your characters that you selected in your party has a certain amount of health. The other mm-hmm. team and your team they attack each other character goes down they're out you forget about them so the idea is to defeat the entire other team's party matching colored gems will result in mana you can use the mana to attack with the abilities that your characters have or their skulls that fall on the the battlefield and if you match the skulls it'll do the amount of damage that your first character's attack is so if you have an attack of three, you match three skulls, you're doing three damage. If you match four skulls, you get the plus one for the extra skull. But if your character has a much higher attack, let's say he's got 16, you match the three skulls, does 16 damage. All right, well, I'll stop with the questions. And now that we have satisfied our inner trading card strategist, let's take a breather. We'll be back in a moment with all the news that's fit to chit-chat. <laughs> some news not just any news just the news we want to talk about this is like my first time reading news deliberately in a very long time i was like (laughs) oh wait there's a news segment i probably have to like go on the internet and look at some news uh you can just wing it It no pressure steve i uh, no pressure steve go ahead you're hard for life (laughs) yes steve Steve. what kind of news do you have (laughs) what do you want to talk about yeah (laughs) good question um so I was like, what do the kids on the internet talk about these days? And I noticed <laughs> that everyone likes to hate on the Epic Store. And I saw a blurb that Epic's, the Epic Store was having a sale and everyone was pissed for some reason. And there was something about Epic like capping how many games you could download because they made the sale too good. And then there's been this whole, you know, part of the Twitter storm with what's his name? Randy Pitchford from Gearbox about how like everyone hates epic and 
why is Borderlands 3 on Epic? And, like, they treat the developers like garbage. But then someone else was like, no, it's the same as Steam. Like, you get the same cut. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, people really just seem to hate the Epic Store. And I guess that they had this sweet deal where if, like, a game was over 15, it was, like, 10 bucks off, so you could, like really net these games but there were pricing discrepancies between regions and then developers were just like randomly altering the price of their games so that it would be like more expensive oh it was snap it was a perfect storm of like everybody being pissed off because for some reason some of the developers were pissed off that it was somehow devaluing their game by having epic pay for the ten dollar sale and then some devs had apparently discounted their own game and then on top of that Epic had the $10 deal, so, like, their huh. their newish game went from, like, $20 to, like, $6 instead. And, uh, and of course, again, all, all, all the babies on the internet angry because they think it's Chinese malware. But <laughs> Yeah, but it, it brings up an interesting point that these, like, massive platforms where developers can put their games for sale are really a thing. Like, you guys, I know Alex uses Steam a lot. That's just yeah. sort of something I'm getting to know. And Epic oh, seems to be trying to, like, own some of that territory, too. Of course. I Look at the market. Where else are you going to go for games? There, there was some article that came out a while ago, too, that said that people who played Fortnite on PC, the Epic launcher was the only thing they had installed to play games on it. So, like, they've got this market of, of kids who have never touched Steam before that might be introducible to other games if they're the storefront they can provide them to. So it's like this crazy untapped market that they could approach, too. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like... It, it makes this marketplace where there's also now, like, a fluctuating market for these game prices. Just like we were talking about, the developers can kind of, at a whim, change the price of their game, which is a new paradigm for gaming. Because traditionally, you know, you get a box with a disc in it, it starts at 60 bucks, and then eventually it's like... Uh, a hit or whatever and they lower it 20 bucks and then you know it makes its way down to another 20 bucks and then eventually it's like 5.99 if it's your like bargain game and steam and epic seem to just offer a greater variety of options but also like this flexibility in the market where a game can go up or down in price depending the biggest appeal to me for epic is that steam doesn't have a monopoly just starting out, when you got Steam, they used to have these incredible sales where you could get games for half off that sometimes weren't even a month or two old if you hit the right part of the year where one of their holiday sales came. And as they started sliding into complete ownership of that market, the sales have become stingier and stingier over time. And there's really been less incentive for developers to go beyond a 30% off discount. So yeah, I, I see nothing but good overall for there being Epic as another launcher and storefront. It's just they're kind of, they kind of seem like they're kept together by uh, duct tape and <laughs> band-aids with the way their storefront is set up because it, it crashes a lot. I've heard that they don't actually have two-factor authentication on their on their launchers, so there's uh, there are legit security c concerns and stuff, but I'm just, the gripes I don't understand. Well, and I'm just finding out now that these platforms have real games on them because Steam to me was always like, I'd go to Alex's house, he'd be like, Steve, I got this new game that you got to check out. And it's like 64-bit stick figures that shoot 2D snakes at each other. And it's called, like, Snake Escape. And he's like, get the snake, Steve. And I'm like, ah. He's like, use the switch control. I'm like, I can't. And there's just like, oh, snakes everywhere. 
<laughs> and and then it like it turns out like oh you can actually buy legit games. I oh yeah. I'll have to get you a couple of games and send them to your account, but nothing, uh, nothing reputable. I'll make sure that they're same kind of. Well, now I'm just interested in Snake Escape. <laughs> oh well, you're gonna have to make it because I'm pretty sure Snake Escape doesn't exist. That's all right. For, I, don't, I don't know what the deal is with the trend of like Steam games that incorporate snakes and like snake related. There's a snake gun, uh, and then dude, don't get me started. Battle love... Simulator and the Snake Archers. The Snake I, I love Archers. It yeah. So speaking oh. of like random stick figure games, <laughs> I noticed that <laughs> Gang Beasts is now on the PlayStation Store. I was like oh, looking yeah. at what's hot, and I was like, wait, Gang Beasts? Because the scenario that I described is exactly how I encountered this game. Alex was like, yo, <laughs> Steve, let's play this game. It's called Gang Beasts. And I heard the title, and I thought it was... I was like, oh, man, this sounds like it's going to be crazy. And then it's just, like, blobby balloon people that make, like, weird noises. Like, blah, 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 and you, like, punch each other, and, like, the gravity's <laughs> all messed up. And most of the time, I would just, like, fall off the edge, which no, is... It's no, basically, no, okay. like, Smash Brothers. Don't me. don't lie. You would grab people and then fall off the edge. Yeah, once I realized <laughs> yes. how bad I was, which didn't take long, I would just grab people in suicide. So I'd at least take someone down with me. I'm still hurt about that. Yeah, Al- Alex is the teen purveyor of bullshit multiplayer games, and they're always they're always these great QWOP, uh, floppy physics <laughs> type stuff too. But I mean, floppy physics games being what they are, this game is now on the PlayStation Network, and it's cheap, but it's not that cheap. So I was just kind of impressed. Like, obviously, there's enough people playing this sort of stuff that there's an impetus for Sony to pick it up for their store. Not that it's probably very much trouble, and it looks like they've done some upgrading to the game a little bit, more skins, and they smoothed out some of the glitchiness, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's gone through a couple updates, yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, I don't that, know, maybe a- I'll play it and let you guys know how it goes. All right. I think I think you might find, if it's not in a venue with people in the room with you, it'll be It's going to be fun. boring, is it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a pure party game and that's that or something like duck game you have to have people in the room with you yeah but when you do it's hilarious yes exactly yeah so speaking of multiplayer i heard there's this game anthem and it did really bad (laughs) so joel what's this picture that i'm looking at we're not talking about anthem come on (laughs) are already changing the subject (laughs) come on no anthem look at it look at it i did look at it actually (laughs) so um it's for those of you that can't see what I, I'm looking at. It's this lovely, uh, what appears to be a uh, old school Game Boy with a crank on the side. <laughs> That's basically it. <laughs> so, so the developer, or I should say, the publisher who uh, brought out Firewatch, the game. And uh, you guys ever heard of Untitled Goose Game? Of course not. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I'm sure that the next time I see Alex, he's gonna be. Like, he's gonna, hey, yeah. Let's play some Untitled Goose Game. <laughs> There's a snake cannon in it. Uh, now, now I just want to talk about that weirdness. Uh, no, but uh, anyway, they uh, they apparently have been secretly working on a handheld. Like Daddy said, it looks like a bat, or I should say, a wide but thin Game Boy, and same button layout, except there is just a a retractable crank shaft on the side of the thing, and it's a black and white screen. It's called the Play Date. It is. <laughs> It is going to go for $149 <laughs> under special order. What does the crank do? 
Don't worry about it. Fair, fair. So it's called the play date. Come on, this has innuendo written all over it. True, true. It doesn't really need to have to have a function. This got me appreciating that they were kind of in like a renaissance of handheld gaming. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a Game Boy at some point way back in the day, but I never had a Game Genie. Uh, did you guys? I did. No, I had a neighbor who did. Yeah. And, and now you have the Vita and the Nintendo Switch where there's just a lot of options with handheld gaming and, and you're getting like really high-end content. And this is kind of uh, a throwback, obviously. It kind of looks a little bit like uh, DS. I had one of those. And so it seems like this is going to be appealing to basically guys like us, like a nostalgia crowd. People who are old enough to have appreciated, like, the the original heyday of handheld games and also be able to sort of appreciate the wackiness of, like, an LCD screen and you're going to get these. I, I like the idea of, like, you don't get games. It just comes with seasons of content and you have no idea what you're going to get, which could be a disaster or it could mm. be really fun. They're loot boxing your hardware. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they're doing. But <laughs> I yeah, mean, basically. that's just, I, I, I love it when I see just weird shit come out <laughs> and, and be announced like this just because it's going to be such an oddity to follow and see people who are early adopters or somehow did their hands on it share what it looks like and plays like. And the, the crankshaft thing is just an inexplicably strange thing that you'd expect out of Nintendo who puts like microphones and everything and, and gyro controls and stuff and yeah. amiibo scanners and all this other weird wacky crap. And it just it, I'm really curious what kind of stuff is going to come out of this. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. I see myself paying for it, but I, I'm, I'm really interested. I'm not jumping to get one, but I'm also very curious to see what comes out on this. The audience yeah. that they're targeting with this is just too. It seems to me too specific because a lot of people their gaming console of choice right now is their cell phone, and then you're going to introduce this into a market with a black and white screen yeah it's definitely a retro vibe niche thing i mean like the lcd screen is obviously a callback to the old old days of handheld gaming and i agree with you eric i think uh, we're gonna kind of have to see what happens it it, there's no way this is gonna be like a huge commercial hit no just because like everybody's got a cell phone that's a thousand times more powerful than my like desktop PC from a couple <laughs> years ago. So, you know, it's so convenient. It's hard to argue with that. Um, but this is definitely something that people are going to, uh, like you, you stick it in your retro high tops. Uh, that's me. And, <laughs> or under your, your vintage baseball cap and break it out sometimes and like twirl this little widget or whatever and and like hey look at me i've got this like old timey looking video game and then you'll like pop a cassette into your boom box and you know make everybody mad on the bus (laughs) (laughs) all right i I think we can move on from my handheld bullshit um so uh daddy what do you got this week i i kind of want to keep it short but i think that everybody here has finally seen detective pikachu there's no way to keep this short (laughs) (laughs) so now that everybody's seen it and uh, i I was gonna say uh no spoilers or if you're scared of spoilers then you should definitely turn us off because it's just gonna get extra spoily 
here's a spoiler for you. I don't know anything about Pokemon, and well. I went to see this movie. <laughs> and it and, occurred to me in the scene where they go to the whatever, Raccoon City or whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> Rhyme like, City? Rhyme City. And I was like, man, there's a lot of Pokemon in this movie. And then I thought to myself, like, what was I expecting when we came here? <laughs> Hopefully Pokemon. Also, <laughs> I felt like Psyduck was being real presumptuous. I just got that vibe from him. He's, really? Yeah. That's, that was my other inside thought. I was just like, man, Psyduck is being very presumptuous right now. He seemed like a jerk. He was a jerk, if I can say that. Yeah, but, yeah basically threatening obliteration unless he gets pampered. That's that's a little bit of a dick move. Yeah. True. So, I mean, this movie, I think, covered a lot of bases. It was full of confusing Pokemon. Uh, it had the heartfelt story of this kid's dad being dead, which I kept wondering, like, this... I sort of, like, forgot it was a kid's movie and then was having an internal debate of, like, is this a kid's movie or not? Because I was like, man, there's some heavy stuff going on to this, like, guy who's, like, 21 and he's find out his dad is dead. But then, okay, big spoiler, his dad is Pikachu? And I was like, what? <laughs> And this isn't a spoiler if you played the Detective Pikachu game, so... It's only a spoiler for people like me who go to a Pokemon movie with absolutely no knowledge. But oh. but his dad isn't just Detective Pikachu. It's Ryan Reynolds stuck in Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Can we talk about how dirty Detective Pikachu was? He was dirty. He was dirty. <laughs> I appreciated that much. But I was like... I think we were all hoping that Detective Pikachu was going to be Deadpool, <laughs> and it got a little bit closer than I expected, to be honest. Yeah, right. Joel, did yeah, you yeah, take like, your kids to see this? Oh, oh yeah, and and thankfully, like most good kid movies do, uh, that humor flew way over their heads, and they mm. were too mesmerized by seeing all these Pokemon looking real lifeish. Did they have fun? Did they? Did your kids like it? You know, for such a long movie, they sat still. I that's got to be meaningful. It, How it, old are they? Uh, five and seven. So like, it, this this movie is what two hours? I mean, kids' movies are getting way too long. It was <laughs> it seemed like it was ninety minutes, but <laughs> it was ninety it, minutes. It felt, but trailers add like thirty minutes to it. So yeah, I think that was the problem because I'm I'm pretty sure we sat through twenty minutes of trailers, and my son was getting upset that we had to wait so long. And then the movie starts, and you sit there for ten minutes into the movie before you see a, a Pikachu. It was my son pulling at my arm. Why, where is the Pikachu? Why haven't we seen the Pikachu? But was he, like, really stoked when Pikachu finally showed up? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. there's, like, a weird, in my opinion, subtext to Pokemon a little bit. And this movie only just brought it out because I was riding with uh, Alex and his wife afterwards. And we got into some, like, deep discussions, but the movie really played up the aspect that Pokemon battles are, like, is, like, cockfighting, which is something I've said ironically before, but the movie really played that aspect up. Because, you know, I was, I was talking to my nieces, they're teenagers now, but, you know, you basically wander around in the wilderness and, like, peg these animals in the face with a baseball and enslave them and force them to do battle for your entertainment and then feed them like space candy so that they evolve. Yep. This is really you heavy. Got you, you got about right. Well, and yep. then, uh, more spoilers. The villain <laughs> of the movie, like, he was so appreciative of the fact that the Pokemon can evolve. And he wanted humanity to have that same characteristic so much 
that he put himself in a Pokemon body, but also forced everyone else to become Pokemon. It was like a weird thing about like forcing people into self-betterment. I don't know. It was it was really weird. I, I'm not sure why I want to do it to a breakdown of the actual plot or how uh, Mewtwo was just the problem and solution to every problem in it. Yeah. But, uh... yeah in in the Pokemon <laughs> game, is Mewtwo actually like godlike? He's pretty powerful, but you'd catch him at the end after everything's yeah. happened. In, in context of the games, he's another Pokemon, but he's powerful. Like in, so having a seven-year-old, I get inundated with all the the media. <laughs> of Pokemon and in the movies and in the TV shows that he's involved in he is like this almost humanoid thing that has genocide wishes for humanity like some of the stuff gets oddly dark for a a kid's media franchise yeah but I feel like that's how all this stuff seems to go I mean uh we used to watch Adventure Time and that show took like a like a I felt like a pretty dark edge at some point where I was like really taken aback. Yeah, that's true. I think that might be more a symptom of creators developing their show to grow up with their audience a little bit. Like you yeah. hear like you hear like Harry Potter uh, fans talk about how the books matured as they went on similarly. So it, it could be a symptom of that. That's fair enough. So do you think that Pokemon does that like it appeals to a slightly older audience or does it still primarily appeal to kids it's kids it's both at this point mm. well you don't I, feel I that it does share some territory it seems i mean there's been so many games it's yeah. been out for so long that like it's been able to blanket a couple of generations of kids like playing pokemon or watching the cartoon i know so I, my nephews play and i can hold conversations with them and they're hitting their teens now. So I think if you look at the narrative part of Pokemon or the barrier to entry, it's very much still kid-centric. You see some of the people who get into like the competitive Pokemon fighting or some of the late game challenges stuff. I think the games are probably still made to appeal to people who never grew out of it. I'm not sure I see much of the stuff being truly appealing to like an adult. Like, like I played Blue and Red back in the day, but nothing out of the stuff has really compelled me to go back except for when my son got a copy of uh let's go pikachu when i was sitting with him watching him play it you know that was the only time it appealed to me and that's mostly because it was a nostalgia play joel let me tell you about the pokemon go community no thanks it is let's uh no exactly there are so many adults (laughs) so many adults Uh, uh, all right we're dude i work at a hospital and there was, like, a hospital floor that was a Pokemon gym, and there were, like, fellows and residents going there to battle. <laughs> yeah, I... Let's let's move on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is that your <laughs> anthem? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's cinema review roundup. Uh, I mean, noobs, uh, when we come back, it'll be time to log some backlogs. <laughs> Pick a game we haven't played in a while and asked, why did we pay full price for this if we're just going to let it sit around till now? Getty, Steve, I see you hijacked my old Destiny guild. 
Yes, and I renamed it. Hey, man, I didn't see you on there. Me and Getty, <laughs> we were out there in the trenches of space, shooting all the robots, shooting the blue people, shooting everyone that Zavala told us to indiscriminately. We didn't ask for any evidence. We just took their word for it and started killing. Space look, look. genocide. I was in Destiny before it was cool. Back when it was Wizards from the Moon and it was one Peter Dinklage voicing the, the ghost. Yeah, I was right next to you. Yeah, I, di- <laughs> I didn't get to play one. I love Peter Dinklage. I loved the, the Moon Wizards. It really captivated my imagination. I saw Getty playing it, and he's like, oh, sorry, Steve, I gotta fight the neck robots on the moon. And I was like, oh, damn, dude. I want to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's new with Destiny 2? Uh, we're, I'm gonna say we're gonna try and keep this short, but I know that's a complete lie. That's about the third time you've said that, this recording so far. Yeah, it's... Yeah, Eric, just give, just give up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really trying not to. Uh, we're gonna talk about the year two DLC, which... Uh, is wrapping up the last one is coming out in about two weeks and my hopes and dreams for it are that we're gonna finally get to kill the drifter which is a fake ass matthew mcconaughey yeah if, joel if you didn't know he's a character that they added to the destiny 2 world and he has this ship that has like a small planet kind of that it tows around and he hangs out in the alley, and when you talk to him, he goes, all right, all right, all right, which oh, was an odd dialogue <laughs> choice, I thought. Um, and Gambit is this thing where you're dropped into a map with there's four players on each team, and you're in separate instances of the map, and you just kill, you, you just kill regular bad guys, and they drop a moat, which is like a... A token. It's like a triangle, yeah. It's like a big glowy triangle thing. You pick them up, and then you there's a bank to deposit them in. And when you deposit an increment of moats, so 5, 10, or 15, it drops another bigger, tougher enemy on the other team side and prevents them from banking more moats. So then at some point, you can cross over to the other side and PvP those guys. So if they're holding moats, they drop them. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, and like the premise of the story is like, this is Drifter's Arena. He somehow makes money off of you getting these moats. <laughs> it yeah. really loosely makes sense. And so once you like fill up your bank enough, it summons the ultimate boss. And like whoever kills their boss first wins Mm -hmm. but if you pvp someone during the boss phase it heals the boss so on and so forth oh wow this this sounds really dynamic for something destiny 2 yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a lot less dynamic than i make it sound yeah steve's just really good at explaining but (laughs) the last three months have been focused on this guy and the fights that he makes you go and do and it gets it gets pretty old pretty quick so the grind is mostly focused around this one event that goes on if you want to be reaching for the high-tier gear? Basically. Yeah, and okay. like most of the like mixed PvP events in Destiny 2, it eventually just turned into like gank fest where you'd be trying to play and the other team just comes over and it's like, oh, hey, Guardian, there's an invader on the field. You better look out. Like, and like you would be dead. Like, oh, I just dropped like 4,000 moats and the, the drifter would be like, oh, oh, oh try again. Ugh. It was really annoying. <laughs> Oh my god! So you're not you're not exaggerating the McConaughey then. No, and that this is sound effects. They basically they made this laser gun that's 
the people would like snipe you from so far away that like I had no idea where they were and they would just do it over and over and over again. So, you know, this is an overall theme I think of the Destiny 2 content is the people who were really good get the pinnacle powerful gear almost immediately and then they're even better. So if you're trying to get gear, the people who are already really awesome are just hosing you and I suck. I'm really bad at PvP. Eric can attest to that. He's not lying. We're in there. He's acing people with his space bow, and I'm just like, like spinning around and shooting in a random direction. So at the end of the match, my like kill to death ratio is like zero point one, and Eric's is like five. See, I, I thought that was the point of having the raids because Destiny One they had what, Daddy? Was it two or three different raids? Yeah, it, I think it was three by the end of all of the content, but yeah. again, I didn't and get I, to do any of them. Yeah, I, I only got to do the vaulted glass once, and then I had to resort to PvP to do anything reasonable in gear. But Destiny 2, don't they only have one raid, or have they updated that? No, there's, I think there's four right now? No, there's a lot of raids. There are. There's like four or five, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I guess I'm behind on it then. They, they've they done a good job at adding raids, but you need to have a raid team to raid. We need a fire team. Yeah. That was always my challenge with one. It was... Yeah, yeah Joel, we need more people to play. Yeah, Joel. <laughs> get back on your guild that we took and help us raid. All right? Eric and I need some of those weapons so that we can go and gank the other guys. Well, I, well with... I don't need any help, but Steve needs help. I need help. <laughs> No, but so, sorry guys, I've got a two-hour podcast to edit. It's uh, <laughs> I think what I really want to talk about here with with this stuff in Destiny Two, this is uh, so we're we're talking some trash, but I've really enjoyed playing Destiny Two. So Joel, for your context, mm-hmm. uh, I started playing this with Eric and our friend James it, like a year and a half ago. This is my re-entry into gaming. I sold my Xbox 360 because I needed the money in like 2012, shortly after Borderlands 2 came out. So I haven't I haven't played games since then up until this point, which I saw Eric playing Destiny 2 again. I was like, oh, man, that looks fun. You know, I missed out on the first one. And so I got a PS4. I got Destiny 2. So this was my re-entry into gaming. Okay, yeah, it's it's an impressive game. I mean, even just the base game, I had a lot of fun with the campaign, so I can see why it'd be compelling. The campaign is nice. This game showcases sort of what Bungie does well, which it looks very good. It's stylized. It plays smoothly. So I definitely have come to appreciate how good the other players look in your environment when we're playing as a group everybody's character looks like a natural part of the environment the movements of the characters are very smooth Uh, i bring this up because eric and i played some borderlands the Mm pre-sequel one day and you know his character in the environment as we were playing together stuck out like a sore thumb It, it looked like it didn't belong so bungie always delivers in terms of like graphics and playable mechanics i liked the rpg element of this uh even though once you get through the main content even though there's there's 50 levels you know, you sort of lose the class specificity, the the variability, like, kind of goes away sort of fast if you're jumping on at this point. 
Sure. sure. But d- they did with Destiny 2 kind of what they did with the Bungie, or, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the Halo. Halo franchise. Halo 1, I remember, was such an amazing game. The story was great. We replayed it. That was something that James and I went back to to beat it on Legendary. You know, we, we did all that. And ditto for 2. I don't think 2 had as good of a story, but it was still pretty good, and it looked nice. And then 3 yeah. came along, and I've never even played it because Alex was like, you beat the game in, like, six hours, and it was just all PvP from there. Huh. Yeah. And they seem to just like to eventually go off the deep end investing in, you know, these PvP type of things and you lose the substance of story which actually i'm going to jump in here just for a second is kind of weird based on some of the rumors that are cycling about for destiny 3 it sounds like they want to abandon pvp for a bit i mean that would be a nice change it would the dlc for for this season so forsaken uh, joel if you don't know they dropped what I've heard people refer to it as, like, meteor content. Mm -hmm. It's basically a mini... Not a mini campaign, it's bigger than that, but, like, slightly smaller than the full game. And Forsaken brought some changes that were really great. And the story, the missions uh, were really fun. Mm -hmm. You know, there was the controversy with Cade 6 dying, and people were up in arms about that. But, you know, the game up to that point was, like, self-conscious enough for it to be funny. Because, like, the characters basically do nothing, and then it's like, all right, we'll kill this main character, and everyone's like, no. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody, uh, nobody was, like, in love with uh, Cade 6, and then all all of a sudden they're like, oh, my God, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> that, surpri- that surprises me. Like, he, he's just he is just a comedic foil. <laughs> I yeah. don't understand. But, I mean, that was, as the comedic foil, he had the most character of any of you know yeah that's fair there's still zavala there's still what's her name uh eric help me out here ikora yeah and they just kind of stand in the tower and you're like hey what's up guys and they're like guardian go shoot everyone and you're like okay they never did anything in the first game either you went up to them and you're like hi i would like to purchase a skill from you and now it's the same kind of deal they just stand there and they're like hi right that they gave the faintest amount of character development in the Destiny 2 campaign. I don't recall anything in the first one. And that trend mostly continues. The first season of DLCs, they added a new planet each time. And so, like, Mercury was kind of a disappointment, and the Curse of Osiris was just like, Hey, Guardian, it's me, Osiris. I'm so cool. And you're like, <laughs> All right, Osiris what are you talking about? He's like, you have to kill Panopti. He's like, okay, so you go and you start shooting robots. And he's like, oh, man, I'm so mysterious as Osiris. And everyone's, like, (laughs) chiming in on your radio, like, oh, are you talking to Osiris? No way, dude, he's so mysterious. And it's like, (laughs) oh, no, there's Panoptes. And you shoot him in the face with a rocket. It's like, you did it. Yeah. (laughs) But then they came out with the War Mind, which is set on Mars. And I really enjoyed that. What about you, Getty? Oh, I I definitely enjoyed it more than the than Osiris. That guy's a scrub. Uh, it definitely added more elements. Uh, the planet that you had for Osiris was really limited. You couldn't use your bike. All you could do is run. And there were two areas. There was inside of the what is it? 
Yeah, it was like the 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 infinite forest. That's what the infinite forest, which is a simulation. The digital forest. Yeah, it's a simulation that changes every time. Or you just ran around in a circle, and that's all the map was was a circle. Yeah, so they drop in these like chunks of map to give it that like randomly generated vibe, but that runs out fast because um, you just realize it's kind of the same chunks just shuffled. There's not that many. But that's what they did better on the Warmind. They added a whole map. They added different areas for you to go to and more hidden secret pieces to the story around. The story was fun and the gear grind they made was still enjoyable. I mean, like those grinds, they were grinds, but they didn't go over the edge into being like super annoying or feeling pointless. I never got the world line zero, but they put these little things around Mars that had a different energy and you had to shoot them with that type of energy and blow them up. And if you killed 40 of them, you got a sword. And then you got something else if you got all 50, but I don't remember what it was. Damned if I know. I didn't. Uh, I think I made it through 20 of them before I was like, oh my god, I'm not doing this. Yeah, they introduced a horde mode, the escalation protocol, which was fun and challenging. But this season of DLC, they haven't added any new planets. They haven't added really any new missions. And it, it follows the, like, bungee sort of lackluster characterless story where, like, the, the armory thing came out and it was like, oh, there's a new secret area in the tower. Guardian, you've got to take this secret card and go to the secret area there's a robot there that doesn't like you and you know, there's like a brief cut scene where you go and like flash this car the little robot like looks at you like Mm-mm, guardian i don't like you and then you show this card and they're like oh well i have to let you in now yeah and they just kind of trash talk you the whole time like oh you guardians are so stupid like you can't get any of my guns and it's like okay actually i need you to help me get all the guns back and, and it's just you running around doing errands for this robot that keeps acting like she doesn't like you, and you get more guns, which is the theme of the game, basically, is you kill people and get guns. Hey, don't don't knock it. Some of the most satisfying actual first-person shooter I felt in Destiny. There's nothing quite like pulling back on your bow and then acing somebody right in the forehead. That's true. And the fact that they mix it up with class abilities is fun. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. They, they added bows? They added they bows. They added bows. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you about the Wish Ender bow, which took us, what, Steve, like three hours, four hours to get? Yeah, but it was actually a fun quest getting it. Oh, it was like a mini raid. But this bow, if you f- fully pull back and draw it and aim, you can see through walls. I've had people threaten to report me during PvP because <laughs> they think that I'm hacking. Instead, that is a true story. We just went played for way too long, and got this sweet bow. Oh, my God. <laughs> Daddy is the hacker man. <laughs> yeah, right. And not even close. But one of the things that I do like from this second expansion has been the new class abilities, at least as far as I'm concerned, playing a warlock, the Kamehameha wave that you get. I'm <laughs> all about that. Yeah, so I should I should give them credit where it's due. They added three new class abilities to each class. And they are pretty dope. The Warlock does the Kamehameha wave, which is... When Getty did it the first time, I got so pumped. Yeah. I think into the team chat, I went, Kamehameha! 
So that was that was one of my gripes about when I played Destiny 2 is that the the classes didn't seem very distinct at all between each other. So that that's changed a little bit too then, huh? They did shift it a little bit. It was still similar to the first game with the abilities that you had. Okay. Yeah. But it, it did give the different classes a little bit of a role where like some of the stealth aspects of the hunter became very useful. The healing facets of the warlock became really good. The tanking element of the titan became like insane if you had the right gear like you were this amazing tank yeah and i like some of these weapons that they've come up with and the pinnacle challenges have been nice but i think partly in this season they just did too much of the same thing so many of the guns have been hand cannons they've really it started to feel like beating a dead horse like hey you could get another hand cannon they're not bad it's just they, I don't know, give me a sidearm or something. Yeah, the variety wow. makes this game, I think. Sidearm? You could pick any ga- any gun in Destiny and you pick sidearm? Absolutely. I oh. want, like, a boss sidearm. Nobody wants a boss sidearm. That's what I'm talking about. They didn't invest anything into it, but they could. They could make something cool. Nah. So I'll take my bow any day. The final DLC is coming up, the season of Opulence. And my guess is that it's going to be more just gear-related stuff, even though I would really like to see a new planet or some new missions. We've already figured out that everyone hates the Drifter. Stop. Just stop it with the Drifter and his Matthew McConaughey references. Mm. But, yeah. I I don't know. What do you think, Eddie? I think we're going to get more of the same. But we'll have to see if they actually take more of a dynamic story-driven plot coming into this it's been really light since the beginning of the season pass with the last two hopefully they can turn it around a little bit yeah i can't help but feel like some of this has to do with the the breaking away from activision maybe the studio doesn't have as many resources that they can be spending towards creating this extra content yeah that was a big wrench in the wheel but as much as i've vented about bungie right now eric how you know like how many hours have we invested into this game I'm ashamed to tell you how much. Yeah. When you game it up with your friends, this is a very fun game. I definitely have gotten my money's worth. I love the first-person shooter RPG hybrid. Borderlands is one of my favorites, so this game has its own charm. We played a sick amount of this game, and it's it definitely, at least for me, is dependent on having friends play it. It's way more fun with friends than to just solo. Joel. Oh, absolutely. You're you're still alive? Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) Oh, I was was getting worried. Well, you're not going to be alive after I tell you about Bulletstorm. We have more? Oh, yeah. I'll go fast. Um, (laughs) Hey, hey, that's my shtick. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, so... Getty had me download Bulletstorm because it was one of the free PlayStation Plus games. And I I have so... My life is the backlog blog. I'm playing through Borderlands 2, the pre-sequel, Borderlands 1, Skyrim, Fallout 4, uh, Destiny 2. Just a lot of content-heavy games. So I finally got around to playing this one because I was going to be on the show. So, you know, I thought, let me sit down and give it a spin. I really enjoyed this game. It has the vibe of what you like from a classic shooter. You know, I was around when Doom came out, so to me, the shooter is characterized by this, like, ultra-violent style. 
the game progresses with a series of weapons that you find and they become more weird as you go on so this game had that uh, there's like a disclaimer at the beginning about how violent it is and how much swearing there is that you have to like click through which is kind of funny um yeah i think kind of quaint <laughs> i think you yeah. also can see how many gallons of blood that you spilled if you check in one of the stat fields oh i didn't check that stat <laughs> it, it has a little bit of a quake vibe with the weapons like you get a weapon that shoots like giant drills that to me is like a kind of like a quake-ish thing it borrows the contemporary space marine concept from gears of war for sure it definitely you could see that they borrowed from that a lot it's very violent the the whole swearing thing they were just doing it to do it kind of it's like they just wedged in as much as they could so you know your partner ishi is like gets injured and has a botched surgery so he's like half robot he's like i'm kind of a robot and your guy's like oh balls uh, you <laughs> know and then you <laughs> you just run from one thing to the next what it has that makes it sort of unique is the the whip they call it the leash so you can grab guys you can throw them you can push them there's a lot of like kicking explosive barrels in the environment to blow people up and there's like big cacti you can stick people to them you can stick them to sharp walls you could kick them and then shoot them you can shoot them in the balls and then kick their head off now and steve if i remember correctly every time you do something ridiculous like that don't you get points and then you can spend them you get points yeah it's like skill shots they call them they're skill kills and they try to build that mechanic into the story that this was you're basically on like a tropical resort planet but as the story goes you find out that like they you know the whole resort of course got messed up and now there's mutants and like bandit gangs that live there but they were using it as a training ground for the military, and so the leash has these, like, drop boxes where you get points for getting the skill shots, and you can buy more ammo. So it was like the soldiers that weren't good didn't get to resupply. That's mm -hmm. that. But that mechanic is kind of fun. So, you know, a type of skill shot is, like, shooting someone in the throat. And, th and they make it very over-the-top, of course, like you kick someone into a big cactus and blood explodes everywhere. You could think about, like, Mortal Kombat E, like, just way over the top. <laughs> or, like, you shoot somebody in the neck and they're like... <laughs> you know? And it gives you a bunch of points for doing that. And then you can upgrade your weapons. You can do other stuff the more points that you get. And it records a record of, like, all the skill shots that you did. You get to pilot a robotic t-rex i remember that it, it, it's like an rc t-rex and it shoots lasers and blows up that was kind of entertaining if i remember that correctly you have to like walk him around in the different areas and you're getting attacked from all sides and he actually just sustains some damage during the course of it so like his robot skin starts to fall off and all the metal underneath it is exposed absolutely you know another feature of the game is like the sniper rifle automatically you you like lock onto a target and shoot it and it goes into bullet time so the target pretty much always scrambles but you can like move the bullet in wacky directions to hit them <laughs> so i did shoot someone in the butt and got like extra points for that that was my accomplishment 
overall, it's it looks nice and it plays fast and it it's good if you like that classic Duke Nukem over the top, gross, vulgar shooter game. The downside is Eric and I were talking about this. It it was very short. Sure. I think I played the whole thing in five sittings of an hour to an hour and a half. And again, I'm bad. So like (laughs) someone who's good at a shooter, you've got maybe six hours of game in there. So as a free game, it was really great. This is definitely like a bargain bin game. Yeah. I think the right price for it would be like five bucks just because it's so short. It does have the replay value of like getting all the skill shots and you unlock more modes but this is a trend with shooters and stuff that they really just it's too short there's not enough story and for me as somebody who my primary game style is rpg i'm in it for the story i think that's what makes video games cool yeah, and I also think shooters are something where their their origins are stemmed from not having much story and being about the the feel and the movement and having cool set pieces and weapons to run through and mow down enemies. So something that acts more like a throwback sort of has those drawbacks that come with its origins. Yeah, for sure. I judging by what I saw on the Borderlands 3 like live gameplay demo, they're definitely utilizing some of the similar like movement mechanics from this game in that game, hmm. which I'm interested in. Like I do like the fast and like the the kicking barrels and blowing stuff up and it being over the top and crazy. Yeah, I just I definitely could have used more story on this. I can see that. Okay. Well, Sounds like a good good reason to not uh, buy it and get it for five bucks or on. <laughs> is it still on PS Plus or did that already pass? No, uh, you missed it. It, it okay. passed. No, this is this I, is a do not pay more than five dollars for this game. <laughs> okay, guys, I think I'm tapped out on shooter talk. So let's uh let's take a break and we'll be right back. segment just wanted to take a moment to highlight that we had a special session drop this past week where we had a fun conversation with andrew trahan of stray basilisk he's part of the development team behind steam hounds which Deddy, you and i talked about on session 12 but if uh, you hadn't checked your podcast feed before now don't forget to check back and take a listen if you have any interest in learning more about the game working as an indie developer or getting to know andrew a little better finally guys as i mentioned before I have all the power here. What? So it's on me to wield it irresponsibly, which means it's time for Alex's punishment as I assign video game homework in his absence. Just remember that I have the regular host's dog. (laughs) Wait, so does he also have to play this then? Or is it my punishment? I, I, uh, I'm, I'm enforcing this punishment on everybody. It's like my house. One of them gets in trouble, they all get in trouble. Well, that's... I'm going to let my boss know, like, hey, sorry. I've got some video game homework that Joel gave me. got to play Heavy Rain. <laughs> that's, that's not legally enforceable, so you can't come to me with a lawsuit later. Hey, spoiler, Steve. He didn't get to it yet. Oh, you have to... Oh. <laughs> As, as Steve alluded to, uh, 
our video game homework this week because I'm a glutton for punishment and I need to take it out on Alex for making me play Doki Doki Literature Club is going to be Heavy Rain, the PlayStation 3 game by Quantic Dreams. It's also available on uh, PlayStation 4 and I think it's also available on PS Now so you can play it via PC on that way. Minor spoiler, the premise of the game is that you're caught in a heavy rain you don't have an umbrella that's you have to find one that's not true and it's your that's and it's your wedding day uh, <laughs> it's like rain on your wedding day <laughs> yes that was the reference i was going for it, it's a free <laughs> ride when you've already paid how much of the song can i say before we get in trouble uh, i think we're we're at the limit okay it figures but i'm pulling out my guitar to play this song <laughs> So uh, I won't assign a due date for this yet, but uh, we'll, we'll let Alex come back and we'll, we'll figure it out then. But uh, for anybody out there listening who wants to play along, Kelly and I will be starting probably in a few weeks here, and then uh, we'll have something to chat about in the future. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, don't worry, Steve. You're enduring this punishment with me this weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I actually look forward to it. <sighs> All right. One of us does. So uh, Do you think I will... we'll find a raincoat? No. <laughs> no, no. the raincoat's a part of you. Oh. We'll be lucky if we find newspaper to put over our heads. <laughs> Fair enough. That's going to fall apart really fast if the rain is heavy. Man, I got to I gotta cut it out with the rain jokes. Yeah. And that'll be it for this week's Super GG Radio. Before we go, you can find us on Twitter at Super GG Radio and twitch.tv slash Super GG Radio, where someday Kevin will get back to playing Metal Gear Solid 1. I think next week he is non-committal because he is flaky. I'm calling you out, Kevin. Bye, guys. GG unit. So our streaming plans is I'm going to play some Heavy Rain with Steve. Probably Sunday? I want to say Sunday. Your boy Steve's going to get on the mic while Eric does the heavy lifting on the game. It's going to be really weird because the microphone's going to be plugged into the remote. Oh, I'm going to get real close to your face. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) If you'd like to reach us with questions or input, our email address is superggradio at gmail.com and provide a review on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice. And hey, if anybody out there digs my Skyrim wood chopping videos... Shoot us an email, send a request. Now that I'm, uh, you know, I was sick the other week, I'm ready to get back onto the Skyrim, chop some wood for you. If you want to see me smith or mine, get a little tink, tink, tink in your life, hit me up. Are you just plugging here at the end of the episode? Yeah, I'm just reaching for whatever I can. All right. Uh, oh, okay, I've lost track of this. We're done here. Good game, guys. Good game. <laughs> Good game. Good game.